Abolition. Abolition. But now, the U.S. locks more people up than any other country. More than 2 million Americans are in jails or prisons here, and more than 200,000 of those prisoners are female. Amna Nawaz takes a closer look at the conditions faced by women behind bars. Judy, nearly 30% of all incarcerated women worldwide are in the United States, and the number of women in U.S. prisons has risen more than 700% in the last 40 years. With that increase came a recognition that men and women in custody have different needs. Now, earlier this year, the Department of Justice's Inspector General conducted a review of how the Federal Bureau of Prisons handles female inmates. Leaders from both organizations testified today on Capitol Hill, where Democrats and Republicans expressed concerns about prison conditions. The report, released in September, made several recommendations. To talk about how these recommendations would affect women in prison, I'm joined by Andrea James. She's an attorney who served two years in a federal prison for mortgage fraud in Danbury, Connecticut. After her release, she founded the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. Andrea James, welcome to the News Hour. As we mentioned, before you were an advocate, before you served your time, you were an attorney focusing mostly on criminal defense. I'm curious, when you first got to prison, what was it that struck you about the people and the conditions inside? In terms of what struck me when I walked into the federal prison for women in Danbury, Connecticut, as an incarcerated woman, was uh, to see a sea of predominantly black and brown women who were being warehoused in a prison. Life in Pennsylvania means just that. Life without the possibility of parole. For us lifers, as we call ourselves, our only chance for release is through commutation, which has only been granted to two women since 1989, close to 30 years ago. Our song, This Is Not Our Home, it tells of our experiences while doing life without the possibility of parole.
Abolition. Abolition. You just heard the PBS News Hour featuring women in prison, and it's a talk between Amna Nawaz and Andrea James, and that was followed by the Lady Lifers with their song, This Is Not Our Home, speaking on life without parole, and that was a TEDx event inside Muncie State Prison in Pennsylvania. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. We're also simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. Um, I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, and uh, feeling some kind of way today. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want to get it off your chest, brother? No, go ahead and finish the introduction. I'll talk about it after. Okay. So in our last episode, we were joined by author, public speaker, writer, and 2020 U.S. presidential candidate Mark Charles. We spoke with him about his recent personal revelations regarding Washington, D.C.'s Emancipation Day, his future goals, and we discussed the slavery abolitionist efforts to date. Tonight, we're we're joined by Private Attorney General Andy Hope Williams. Andy was a 2020 presidential candidate and resurrected the Democratic Republican Party. The mission of the party is to abolish slavery. I love that. The mission of the party is to abolish slavery, eradicate poverty, and end the war between we the people. In 2021, Andy filed a lawsuit against the United States government and multiple states charging slavery and human trafficking. We'll get updates on the suit status, discuss its future, and cover the issues. We've got some fantastic Mother's Day music mixes for you, and as always, we'll share the words of our abolitionist ancestors for a new generation and our Bridging the Gap segment. So before we start that, uh, Max, tell us about the opening track, and <laughs> you know, if you got something to get off your chest, brother, I hope you get it off during this segment right here, man. How's your week been, brother? <laughs> yeah, um, man. <laughs> it's, it's been busy. Uh, as far as the opening track is, uh, I chose that because it's Mother's Day, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of our mothers are behind bars, 200,000 of them, uh, as they mentioned in the opening track. 30% of all women that are in cages are right here in the United States. And as the sister said, that was the thing that struck her as the most profound. It's not just any women. Seas of black and brown women are behind bars right now. And the women who sang about it were literally behind bars when they were singing about it, telling you how they have life without parole, which is basically a death sentence by prison. So you just send them to a cage to die there, however you die. Uh, I thought it was a moving presentation, and the video is very, very powerful. So make sure you check it out on our Facebook page at Abolition Today. Um, I want to give a happy Mother's Day to my wife, Travel Rain. Uh, I want to remember my mother. 
uh, Grace Brown, rest in peace, and wish my daughters a uh, happy Mother's Day as well. I've got 20 grandkids, man. Mother's Day is a big time for us. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. You know, we have a lot of uh, women who tune into our show, you know, every week. So definitely happy Mother's Day out to them. And happy Mother's Day to all of the women who are incarcerated. We even have incarcerated women that listen to the show. And we know that uh, over uh, the latest statistics that I had seen, about 58% of women that are incarcerated are mothers themselves. You know, so that's a huge number right there. And so we're remembering you not just today. You know, we... You know, it's Mother's Day on the calendar, but we know every day is Mother's Day. So it's just a <laughs> special acknowledgement on the calendar. I also want to say I remember my sisters, and happy Mother's Day to them as well. Uh, Mother's Day is special to me because my first son was born on Mother's Day, May 9th. Uh, his birthday is huh. tomorrow. Uh, happy birthday, Nelson. <laughs> uh, he's the oldest of our of my prodigy. Uh, and as far as the week is concerned, man, I got a couple of nice phone calls. I saw some really good stuff on Twitter. Like, you know, last week Mark was our guest, and he had a program of his own that he aired where he brought in his former vice president, um, brother uh, Adrian Wallace. And Adrian listened mm-hmm. to the show last week, and he was like, yeah, that program you was on last night, you know what they were talking about, the slavery? He's running for mayor right now. And uh, – I forget the name of the city, but it's in Illinois. We'll put the video on our uh, page so you can check it out. He's running for mayor right now, and he's a slavery abolitionist. He was loving what we were saying. And then Mark was like, you know what? I got all the data right here. Let me tell you about it. He put the website up and everything. So thank you for the shout-out to Mark and Adrian. For for sure. Yeah. Uh, It was important to us. He's running in Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington, Kentucky. There you go. Lexington, Kentucky. So if you're in Lexington, Kentucky, go ahead and cast your vote for Adrian Wallace. Uh, he's an awesome brother. Yeah, it's important to us that people have hope. So when we're out here talking about, you know, this is slavery, we also want to talk about how it's being uh, fought and the victories that is being won along the way. It, you know, it's not just rhetoric. We're getting it done. Um, so that's a good thing. And then the editor of the San Francisco Bayview News uh, gave me a call yesterday. And she was like, Max, I love what you guys are doing on Abolition Today. Would you mind if I use some clips on our program, Prison Focus Radio? I was like, yeah, I'd be honored. Go ahead and do that. And she's even considering (laughs) um, syndicating the show in total uh, as part of their network as well, which is awesome. I I wish everybody was thinking about doing that. Because we got some right. great lessons and voices here that need to be heard. Um, tomorrow, we begin a new venture in the Abolish Slavery National Network. Uh, we uh, have restructured to put the states more in the lead of what is getting done. And we have our first major meeting with all of our representatives tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and as far as the week is concerned, other than the trauma porn that I've I've had to experience, that pretty much covers it. Mm-hmm. Wow, you had a really busy week. Uh, as you know, as far as my week, I mean, it was a lot of the same. Uh, but also, I, uh, I'm in contact with uh, 
NPR Radio, one particular show on NPR Radio that's uh, on the count. I believe that's the name of the show. So seeing what we can, yeah, seeing what we can work out with that, you know, so stay tuned for that information and other announcements that we're going to be having coming up very shortly. Uh, Let's bring in our guests. Sounds like a plan that we're ready to look forward to. Yeah, I think we're ready to bring him in because, right, because it's been a minute since he's been on the show. You know, he's just been out there. Uh, busy, you know, he's definitely stirring up things, you know, I'm loving the fact that he filed a lawsuit against the United States government and multiple states charging them with slavery and human trafficking. You know, uh, Abolition Today listeners in the U.S. and around the world, please welcome back to the show 2020 presidential candidate uh, and the resurrector of the Democratic Republican Party, Andy Hope Williams, welcome back, brother. Man, what's up, brother Yusef and brother Max? Glad to be back. Glad to have you back. (laughs) Sorry about that. I I was bragging about you yesterday with uh, Nube Brown, the editor for the San Francisco Bay View. And talking about the freedom suits, and she's and, and historically speaking, and uh, she's like, "Man, we should do something like that now." I'm like, "We're already doing it, my man, Andy Williams." Right. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about these freedom suits and yourself, brother. Okay, but <clears throat> if I can make a comment on on the music, yeah, that absolutely. Was start where you want to start. Plantation. Yes. <laughs> okay. So when I when I was listening to this. <clears throat> I think about some of the old gospel songs that that had their roots in slavery. And Mm -hmm. you got these mothers on the plantation, and the song that came to my spirit the most is, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. Are you trying to make me cry? Because because that's that's what's happening. They're doing the same thing today that they was doing Back in the 1800s, 1700s, 1600s, it's the same. And our mm-hmm. mothers is still singing the same song, but just as relevant to this generation with this generation lyrics. But it's the same mothers. And we have to rise up and go get our people. So, you know, the music was well selected. I heard it. And music, you know, for me, it always moves to a spiritual element first. It always hits the spirit. So then I see the lyrics, and that manifests this in the flesh so I can actually see it, and it's like, man, you're stirring something in me, bro. And we don't got Amen. time to be sitting around here talking about the problem. <clears throat> Lives depend on it and freedoms. Mm-hmm. Being lost every day. Awesome. So that's I'm where it comes with uh, the freedom suit. I'm glad you was feeling this on that intro, bro. So, yeah, uh, tell the people, for those that don't know, a little bit about yourself and what we're doing with these freedom suits. Well, one is that when, when, when when I talk about why I ran for president in the 2020 election, it was a call, and it was a call that I answered. 
no experience, didn't know anything. But the point that I, I, I discuss so often is that when you look at candidates that don't represent your interest, you can either talk about it or you can be about it. And be about it says, you don't represent my interest. I'm in a better position to represent my interest for myself. And the platform that I ran on was about me representing my own interest because everything on the campaign trail for me was personal. It was about inalienable rights that were given to us by the God of nature or the creator that's in the Declaration of Independence. And we, I needed somebody that could represent my rights. And so I felt, answer the call from the ancestors, I could do it better. So it wasn't about what I was going to do for the people. It was more about that. And, again, I've, I've, I'm still growing, so my mind and the conversa- conversation has transitioned from what it was in 2019. And I'm saying what the government has been doing since it's been existing has been violating our inalienable rights. And those are not given to us by man. So we must represent our rights and defend our rights. And the way we can do it, one of the ways, is we can represent the people in each one of our cities, like you said, in Lexington, Kentucky, Brother Wallace, is run for office, but not run for office to become a part of that system, but run for office to be a representative of the people in that district. And we don't have that representation, what goes back to the representation, uh, I mean, taxation without representation, because that's what the government has been doing is taxing our ass through the form of slavery, human trafficking, making up codes and laws and statutes that deal with persons, which we'll get into that, the difference between people and persons. Because people Mm -hmm. are sovereign. People are sovereign. We created government. Persons is what the government created through their corporations and all that. So once we correct our status, as people, as American nationals, come with our nationality and stop running around here saying we 14th Amendment citizens, fuck your citizenship. I ain't trying to be one of them. I'm trying to be a national indigenous to, I'm not trying, I am a national indigenous to the land. We existed before you. You serve us. We don't serve you. So it's a difference between a politician and a statesman. A statesman is concerned about the next generation. They're not concerned about what's popular. They're concerned about what's right. And we've elected a whole bunch of politicians thinking they represent our interests and they represent their party. They're not representing the people. They're representing the corporation. We keep talking about it, so now what we have to do is understand how to change that. And we, the people, have it's time for us to rise up, build us a team of 300 strong. Why 300? Because 300 is the super majority. We control Congress that way. And by the year 2025, mm-hmm. we can liberate the land. All it takes is 300 of us now. I'm telling you, that's an easy number. So that's the short on that. The Freedom Suit, historically, it was a lady named Elizabeth Freeman. And it was a case, Brown and Brett versus Ashley. She was an enslaved person in Massachusetts. She sued for her freedom saying that slavery violated the Massachusetts, huh? Mumbet. Yeah, that's Mumbet. That's the the name. Mm -hmm. She sued for her freedom because she said slavery violated the Massachusetts Constitution, and she won. That was a freedom suit. And so today, modern times, 
the freedom suit can be done through an habeas because what we're saying is that the government is unlawfully detaining the people. You say, well, no, the 13th Amendment is legalized. Yeah, it says it's legalized, but the United States signed a treaty. And that treaty in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights said you had to abolish slavery in all forms. So what I did in the suit um, that I filed against the United States is when the United States finally filed an answer a year later, the judge dismissed the case on April 26th, I think he did. I, I was talking to the United States attorney, and she was like, well, let's do a briefing schedule. This was on the 25th of April. We were sent over to the deputy clerk to do a briefing schedule, which gives me time to respond to their motion to dismiss, them a chance to reply. The very next day, the judge dismissed the complaint and said I didn't have standing. And so when he said that, he said, because you didn't provide a statute. I said, okay. I found the statute under the Congressional Mandate of the Civil Rights Act, 1866, which was also known as the Private Attorney General Act, that was an an act to protect all citizens and furnish means for their vindication. So then I came back to the judge and did a motion for him to amend that dismissal And in that, I put, I have standing one, because I'm operating in the private constitutional law, not this public code statute bullshit y'all got going on. Number two, I'm operating under the treaties, which are mandated law by the Supreme Court, and we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And number three, under the religious exemption, because I am my brother's keeper. And I said, like Moses had to go advocate for the Israelites in front of Pharaoh, well, I got the same mandate. Let the fucking people go. <laughs> and I promise you this is what I put in the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, he because did. Because now we're taking it international. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where we're at with the freedom suit. And because of this time from last year to now, what I realize is that if each one of us across the states is abolitionists, I can put the blueprint together for each one of the states, come at it from international law, because under the uh, uh, the Declaration for Human Rights, and I did write it down, um, it said that slavery, uh, hold on, I thought I wrote it down, because I really wanted to put this down. But basically, slavery is wrong in any form. That's what the Universal Declaration of Civil Rights, I mean, Human mm-hmm. Rights said. Article Article and 4, no, no one shall be held mm-hmm. in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. In all their forms. Yep. So what we're able to do in each state, because that, that treaty from that and the Gene- Geneva Convention, it's law. So why don't we all across these states where we have abolitionists in there all file a suit against them, all of us, every state, that we have two or three people in each state that's representing this and coming in as a private attorney general. And what that does for us as we the people is it organizes us around the movement based on the state. And then when we look at these states that didn't want to agree to abolish this slavery language in their constitutions, and if it's nine of them there and five of them said yeah and four of them said no, then we know four got to go. So then we run this movement and replace those four 
and I believe by the year 2025, because I'm talking about the 2024 election, because every two years the representatives are up for election, between now and that time, we can have 300 people, and we're guaranteed by 2025 we have a movement by the people of the people that represent the people, and we want freedom for all. And once we're in office, then we put legislation, which we really don't need legislation, because when the people are sovereign, they go back after all these people that have been, you know, guilty of genocide, human trafficking, and we file criminal complaints against them, and we hold them accountable. And now we ask them, do you want good time back now? Do you want parole back now? Do you want programs in the prisons now? Because now they want them because now they in there. And I'm not trying to repay evil with evil. Hear me when I tell y'all. I'm saying we need accountability. Because you see when you don't hold the police and elected officials accountable, you see the mess we in right now. Because they're not held accountable. That shit that happened in, um, was it Oklahoma? Where they murdered that boy? What, what, you, you, we seen you, it. You they, talking about the, 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 the Lawton, Oklahoma? Yeah, I believe, yep, that was his name. That's, that's because there's that's, no accountability. That's the location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Definitely we have one to of hold the uh, cases we were going to discuss this evening. So those are the things I've been working on. I sued the police department in my hometown, called them slave patrol, slave catchers. Same thing. They said, oh, you don't got no standing. I said, the hell I don't have standing. Every time I come out there, I'm liable to get pulled over. What do you mean I don't got standing? <laughs> so we're right. waiting to see what the judge is going to say. But I'm telling you, I no matter what a judge says or doesn't say, they have no authority over me because they did not create me. So I will always fall back to the Declaration of Independence. I will always fall back to my religious freedom to say, I don't care what you say. You can't mess with me. And now I've corrected my, my, my passport that gives me the right to travel, takes me off from being a voter to being an elector. And these are the things that I want to teach the people who are ready to learn how to be put on the do not detain list or how these corporations, which in each state, the state is a corporation, a municipality is a corporation, but it used to be historically a country. So we no longer say, I'm South, I'm from the state of South Carolina. No, I'm a South Carolinian, which means I am sovereign, and your corporation is under me. You're foreign to me. I'm the natural person on the land. You a fictitious corporation. You're a corporation, a corpse. You dead to me. So that means we have authority. We need to be able to understand. So now we operating like we're diplomatic community. Can't touch this. That's MC Hammer because you know that. I'm joking, but it's the real deal. So I've corrected my status, got my paperwork together, and now I'm saying let's go about doing that across the state, and now we operating in the private. And if you, if if, if I got a website that you could go to, because I didn't study this stuff for the last year and a half, and I'm just moving different. And I'm not. This ain't. This not a sovereign citizenship thing. It's sovereign because we the people are under common law, universal law, and that gives us the authority. And we've not been taught this. Because we've been indoctrinated through their system telling us how we're supposed to be. And I'm saying, no, fuck your system. I found out. There's something wrong with the matrix. <laughs> oh, did I drop too much too quick? Uh, no, we were sitting here uh, listening. Mm-hmm. 
listening and letting you letting you lay it out there. And and it, it all comes back to the 1779 1779 Naturalization Act. And it's this 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 website is t a s a dot American State Nationals. So that's t a s a dot American State Nationals dot org. If anybody goes that to that site, they have different state assemblies. I'm not telling you to join them. I ain't telling you to do nothing. I'm just telling you go on that page, look at the documents that they give free. Like the documents is right there. You can correct your status, but please read it and understand it. Because too often we get paperwork and just do some changes and shit. Don't know what the hell we doing. No, they got a couple of videos here. Get into it and see, and then you'll see we're sovereign to the land. We're the state national. We're the ones that control what goes on in our communities. And now we, be, we, we rise up. How are you going to pass a budget and it don't include us? Because we don't know who we are. So now once we understand who we are, we're telling them what you can and can't do. We don't need to be worrying about if we have the right to bear arms. Because as a state national, you're not subject to the statute. You can carry a gun because it's your right. It's your right. They give us our rights. They take our rights away and sell them to us as privileges. No, motherfucker, shit. This, I'm not, no, this is my right. Run the fuck up on me if you want to with that bullshit. <laughs> I will pop one of them jokes. <laughs> and we got case law that says you have the right. If you are operating in your rights and the police or anybody else for that matter, because I'm not blaming all the police. Some of them is good motherfuckers. They just don't know. Some of them is good and just good, and some of them is just bad. And all of them, for the most part, out of that code of silence. But if you operate in your rights and the police is violating that right, then they done breached the peace, and you got the right to handle your business accordingly. That's your right, and I have case law that supports it. And that's why I think the private attorney general, as well as the law classes, you know, constitutional law, common law, universal law, not this policy, codes, and statutes that they done created. When we understand that, we move different. We walk different because now we got the confidence back as the original indigenous descendants of the aboriginals on the land. And again, I say, fuck with me if you want to. <laughs> Diplomatic um, immunity. Brother Andy, I, I don't usually um, use censorship, but I, I want to uh, respect you, such oh, mother God. who is an avid listener. And uh, if you can avoid the uh, gratuitous uh, swearing, that would be great. I apologize. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Thank you. I'm getting excited uh, sometimes. His mom be sometimes. <laughs> mother, mother, please forgive me. I'm going to go wash my mouth out with soap right now. I'm going to wash my mouth out with soap. It won't happen so again. It won't happen you again. Also, we uh, brought back to life the Democratic Republic, Democratic, uh, which was originally uh, formed in 1792. It lasted up until 1798. Um, I guess it was the precursor for the Republican Party, right? Uh, which came about when, 1834? Uh, and yeah, it was well, the they, they antecedents of the Democratic Party. Huh? 
Right. Well, they did, they dissolved in 1824. Um, oh, okay. I think you said 1790. Well, it's, it's a couple of different dates, so who knows when is right, because we wasn't back there, so we really don't know. We just know what has been written. Yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, Britannica uh, article about it. Cool, cool. So, so what were yeah, you saying about the party, though? Apparently, that was uh, the first three presidents was Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. <laughs> the first three presidents, yeah. and these were all Southern planters uh, who owned slaves, but had very liberal philosophies. Uh, basically, they were hypocrites, talking good, mm-hmm. and saying nothing. <laughs> um, today, what's right. the difference between them then? and the Democratic Republican Party today? So the Democratic Republican Party today is about abolishing slavery in all forms. And the reason why I felt to resurrect that party, because the two major parties are the Democrats and the Republicans, which are really both the same. So if you Mm -hmm. can't beat them, join them. If you can't beat them, join them. So what we do is we have a universal platform that basically deals with freedom, our inalienable rights. Here's what it is. If you elected official and you oppressing the people, then you ain't about the people. So as uh, Max, you said, they hypocrites, and they modern-day hypocrites in these two parties. So what the Democratic Republican Party says is this. If you align with our platform, then we, we cool with you. Whoever you are, Democrat, Republican, I don't care who you If you align with our mission and vision and you represent this, not by lip service, but by action, then we cool. If you don't, then we raise somebody up out of our party, which is it's not really a party per se. Like we all join together. It's a platform that I'm teaching about the rights and how to run for office. And you can run as a Democrat. You can run as a Republican. You can run as one of us. It don't bother me. Because if we support you to do what you need to do, and then you don't do what you need to do, then you violated your oath of office, and you a traitor to the people, and I'm going to file a suit against you and get you out of office because I believe in accountability. And so then that way, the Democratic Republican Party is saying, look, we represent the people. That's what we do. And when we elect somebody or somebody's elected that doesn't represent the people, we're going to remove you from office because you done violated your oath and you done lied to we the people. Because all these people be running for office, promising they're going to do all this stuff, lying through their teeth because they don't have the ability to do it, and then they get in there and they don't do nothing. we still talking about the, the, the 1964 Civil Rights Act bill, and ain't no, we still in, we worse. Shit, we ain't no better place. We got all these rights. And that's because our elected officials are not representing the people. You know, so that's uh, where we you're, com- that. you're coming in right on the heels of another 2020 presidential candidate, Mark Charles. He was with us last week. Uh, only place you're going to be hearing back-to-back presidential candidates. But even more than that, one of the things that Yusuf and I were talking about, which made us very proud of a smile, is this is the first time there's ever been more than one candidate on the ballot president who was a slavery abolitionist. Even when Lincoln mm-hmm. ran, he was alone. He was the only one running on an abolitionist platform. And here in 2020, we had two of y'all running. Uh, I think that is just amazing. This is awesome. I'm hoping to see a dozen coming up and one of us get this election done. And 
do what we need to do. Uh, one of my concerns about the strategy proposed, and it's always been a concern, even Frederick Douglass taught us this lesson, is that uh, freedom by writ is a wonderful thing, right? Constitutional freedom. But without the support of the people and the politics and the um, police to back it up, then it's not worth anything. Uh, how do we get that? The people, the politics, and the police to enforce these things uh, that you're discussing. Like, for instance, the 300. You know, 300, it sounds good, but you're talking about uh, and how do we take over an empire with 300 people? <clears throat> so the abolish, slave, the, the abolish slavery in all forms on the platform, it even deals with involuntary servitude under taxes. People don't know that, but taxes are voluntary, voluntary, okay? That represents a certain demographic of people that says, huh? Okay, but there's a group of people that know that already. By doing that, being part of, in each, like I said before, in each state, filing, you know, declaratory judgment saying what the states are doing is unconstitutional, you begin to raise the awareness of the people. When you realize that there's so many people in prison right now um, or on some kind of form of supervision because of this gang label, which being in a gang, which I don't even believe we, the street tribes, are gangs because I believe it's the evolution of our cultural tribes, um, that's unconstitutional. It violates the First Amendment that you have the right to association. Lanzetta versus New Jersey says you can't punish a status for being in the game. Scales versus the United States, that's a Supreme Court decision that dealt with the communists that said each individual is liable for their own acts. So what basically I'm saying, they've passed legislation that has been unconstitutional. So each state puts together the gang laws and say, look, that's unconstitutional. Your sentences have been wrong. The Supreme Court in Arizona uh, was, uh, said it was unconstitutional to enhance sentences because of somebody's status. So now we're broadening our, you know, uh, the people. We're, we're, we're waking people up, helping them to be conscious. But I'll say this to this, Mac. Andy is not so gung-ho on being the president. I'm gung-ho on the liberation of our people. And that has to be done by any means necessary. So if it gets somebody attention that a brother ran for president or he's running for president again as at that time, and I'm, this is not an announcement, but we all know we're going down that road, it's to say we the people have the power already. We've been giving it up. Because once we recognize the power we already have, we just need somebody that represents the nation. And I believe I am qualified to do that in the sense I'm not waiting for an election to say what I'm going to do. We're doing it now. You want somebody that's going to come in and declare what these states is doing is modern-day slavery. Well, we want to say, oh, well, you you letting prisoners out of prison and doing all this other stuff. Yeah, because we're going to resurrect Black Wall Street. For the unconstitutional ways that you've been detained people, we coming in to get that bag back, you know. You can't just lock somebody up for 14, 20, 30 years and then think there's not a remedy behind that. 
And that's why I go back to the freedom suit. So as we begin to do this throughout the state and we begin to understand our rights, now we're going to build our own communities. And when we talk about the police, police officers are policy enforcers. We want the constitutional oath police, which are really justice of the peace, and they only show up when there's a breach of the peace. And right now they've been the ones that's breaching the peace. They've been part of it, part of it. And so I think dealing with the, the to, to get the, the people to wake up is we have to understand you're no longer voters. We want to show you how to be an elector because we talked about the electoral college. And see, that's what Donald Trump was banking on is the electoral college because he knew the difference between a voter and an elector. An elector is somebody that is a state national, an American national. And we never knew the difference. We, we, we didn't know the difference between the two. We thought it was all about registering the vote. No, you correct your political status, now you have authority with your vote. So does that kind of like bring it to the, the answer to the question, Brother Matt? Uh, it, it's an answer, yes. Um, okay. I think I get where you're coming from. Uh, you know, we see focusing on the Constitution. It's the law of the land, the supreme law of the mm-hmm. land. The treaties mm-hmm. and other things like that—they've been breaking left and right. But the reason we got a, uh, a the reason we have the uh, Supreme Court is to interpret the Constitution itself. And this is what we swear on when we take office to uphold it. Uh, the soldiers all swear an oath to defend the rights in the Constitution. Police all swear it. So for us, we've been feeling like that is the place where change begins. Uh, because it's what they use to justify all the stuff that they do. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, there are a million ways to get through here. Death by a thousand cuts. But we feel like, or at least I feel like, if you don't do this one thing, the other stuff, as long as slavery is legal, mm-hmm. no one is safe. And if that's the Supreme Court of the mm-hmm. law, the Supreme Law of the land, then that's the place to begin for us. Correct. And, and that's why it's so important that we recognize it violates our treaties, the treaties, because now we're dealing with international law. Mm-hmm. And the, like the, uh, I feel like the more and more – go ahead. Oh, I just mentioned like the uh, International Declaration of Human Rights that you mentioned earlier. Is one. The Durban Agreement mm-hmm. is another, you know, third. <laughs> and, and the more – we the people begin to understand that the more we're taught about our rights, not the privileges, our rights, and those 10 Bill of Rights, just, we can start there. Then we'll begin to see, wait, we've been duped. We've been bamboozled. We've been hoodwinked. <laughs> but now we can see. So, it's, I mean, we can always talk about what we've been, but once you see, then what? Then you have to take action. And I think we've been slow to take action because we've not known the steps, especially after the 2020 social unrest with George George Floyd. I always say, after the march, then what? What happens after the march? We go back home and watch TV? Well, you already know this circle didn't do that. (laughs) We went out and got some things done for sure. But on generally, uh, most people just 
they vote once every four years, sometimes once every two years, and that's the end of their activism. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying we don't stop. And I, I this this election, presidential election, I have a broader base now, more individuals that's in tune, and I feel like going in, my track record will show. Out of every other candidate that ran, I believe, based on what I see, I'm the only one that kept the platform going. I didn't say, if you vote for me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm saying, this is what I'm going to do because this is what I've been doing. Here's the lawsuit against the police. Here's the lawsuit against the state. These states are running a criminal enterprise. Their racket is slavery, human trafficking, genocide. You look in the criminal code, 15 U.S.C., Section 32, I believe it is, genocide, it's it's a crime. It's it's genocide in the United States Code because I'm working with uh, Samir Rice, Tamir Rice's mom, on that because she wants to bring the complaint up against genocide. And if you have ever talked to her or heard from her, you'll see she wasn't in that election with Hillary Clinton and all that because she said they full of mess. She said, you ain't finna parade me around like some poster person when you don't want to bring up criminal charges against the people that – you know, murdered my son. They don't play that. She right. don't play politics. She don't play that. And so we've been in conversation, and I believe she's going to be one of the people that comes against these states for genocide. Well, we start bringing claims against the Department of Justice too. And this Man, is good DOJ in there right now. Vanita Gupta, go ahead. That's a, a fantastic segue. But continue what you were saying, because I definitely got a good track to no. follow up on your discussion regarding Tamir uh, Rice and his mother. Yeah, she's solid. Man, I, man, I love that lady. But I'm saying, like, in the DOJ right now, it's the lady, Vanita Gupta, um, and she's a solid. She's solid. She's she's not – she's done a lot of work prior to. But, again, there's – because I don't know people personally, I just know I'm more anxious for, for, for abolishment. That's <laughs> what I'm more anxious for. And – I I want the mothers that were singing that song home. I want these brothers that's been unlawfully incarcerated on that Jim Crow uh, non-unanimous jury verdict stuff in Louisiana to come home. Right. Because all of this is is the evolution of slavery. We we have the Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor and others admitting that the non-unanimous jury verdict in Louisiana was a badging incident of slavery. They just didn't say it, but then they admitted it, and then you're going to say it can't go back retroactive? Well, it's null and void. It violated the 13th Amendment, Section 2. How can it not be? The foundation of the United States and what they're doing now is a badging incident of slavery. The prison is a badging incident of slavery. The whole citizens that, that are that are citizens that don't know is a badging incident of slavery because we're oppressed in our own communities. Think of this, and this is the last point I'm gonna make. When the United States said, Andy, you don't have standing under Article Three of the United States Constitution to bring this claim because you don't have no injury. And they tra- they put all this little case law and all this. I didn't respond back to them on that that point the way I could have. But here's my argument. If I don't have standing because I'm just one of the people and I haven't had an injury, then tell me where the state 
has an injury to arrest all the people that they've arrested. Because if there ain't no victim, there ain't no crime because there ain't no injury. Because then you would have to answer the only reason why you locking up these people today because you consider the citizens your property. And the state has made these codes because they make money off of us whenever we in their system. Wouldn't that make sense? Um, I found that we're not dealing with illogical people. (laughs) (laughs) Never have been. Reason and logic is beyond them. Facts are alternative. Right. Which goes back to why I feel like we need to be the ones that are in office now. Because if we go together as a group of people with one message, one platform, now we unstoppable. Because it's always been one individual trying to lead the lead the lead. No, I'm not trying to lead. I'm trying to empower all of us. Mm-hmm. When one Doing of our elders right pa- pass away, when one of our elders pass away, ain't nobody to pick up. And that is why Andy sits at the feet of the 1960s civil rights, black liberation, Panther, Coitel Pro people. Them are my teachers right now. The hippie movement. Them are my teachers right now. Because they're still here tangible. I don't have to read your book because I can call you on the phone with my pen and paper and listen to what you are telling me. And then I share that with other people. And then other people getting stuff from their elders. And now it's 300, 400, five of us strong that are so focused and committed on liberation of the people, you can knock one, two, three off and you still got 500 more. And that's how we uh, have to move. This is not a movement about one. It's a movement about all of us. Brother Andy, um, right. you know, I'm going to be a little bit hypocritical right now um, and transition into a track. And I say I'm going to be a little bit hypocritical because I ask you to avoid gratuitous swearing, right? But I'm about to play I a track. I thought I didn't say it. No, no, listen no, no, it's now. not but, you. <laughs> but I'm about to play a track that oh, okay. is, still, is filled with uh, swearing. But I want the people listening to understand. That what you're listening to is the voice of a woman who had her son murdered in cold blood by police. And then those police were let off after murdering her son. So give her uh, your time just to hear. And if you're more offended by the words than you are, what have probably listening to the wrong program anyway. So let's go ahead and listen mm-hmm. to this track. It's Valerie Castile's uh, speech. After she found out the police were <clears throat> not going to be charged. And that's followed by Tribal Rain doing the poem Morning Mothers. The music is Cold by George Mendez. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas. Our guest today is former presidential candidate and private attorney general Andy Williams. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Hey, Facebook and everybody around the world. I'm sure y'all seen this bullshit that happened today. Fuck what they talking about. Yeah, I'm going live now. I've been holding myself, trying to be strong and not say the wrong things because I already know how they get down. I'm 61 years old. I've seen it. I've smelled it. I've heard it. Now you see exactly what these motherfuckers think about us. 
they murdered my motherfucking son with his seatbelt on. So what does that say to you? Now they got free reign to keep killing us any kind of way they want to. So I just want to say one thing to everybody out there. I don't give a fuck what you do. Do what your heart desires because that shit wasn't right. And I'm here to say that and fuck the police. Say whatever the fuck you want to say. Now, this is the real Valerie Castile. I don't give no fuck no more. This shit is crazy. You're going to kill a man in front of a child and a woman. Who going to bring some children to a motherfucking gunfight? Come the fuck on, please. I don't know where they got them motherfucking jewelers from, but that was some straight-up bullshit, and they going to keep on killing us as long as we sit out and just take it. Oh, yeah, he was in fear for his life. Bull motherfucking shit. You shouldn't be no police officer if you're going to handle yourself in that manner. Do what you do. Because this shit going to keep on happening. And it's going to be you one day in this fucked up mother's club with their children murdered by the motherfucking police. I don't get no fuck. Man, y'all just don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now. If I had it my way, it's on and cracking. Fuck that shit. I'm sick of this shit. Y'all been killing motherfuckers all these all these years. But here in Minnesota, this crack of Bama ass motherfucking state. Fuck these motherfuckers. This is Tribal Rain performing Morning Mothers. The city is full of morning mothers. Just as an ancient Wailing with lungs too dry to draw breath. Empty womb misfits, children torn from their bodies and cast aside like disregarded refuse. Misused, unloved, and forgotten. The city is full of mourning mothers. They wander around lost in a daze, unfazed by the life that continues to move on without them. They hear the long-gone laughter and reach for the outstretched hands that no longer dwell in the land of the living. They shuffle along haunted by the memories of their lost loved ones, gone too soon. Empty shells of their former selves, they've been placed on shelves in the basements of lost remembrances and labeled damaged goods. Beaten down by the hood and the slave catchers who run it. So we may never find out who done it. But we all know who pulled the trigger, who fired the gun, who sold them the drugs, who shot a run, nigga, run. Who shot them in the backs of squad cars and dark alleys as they were lying face down, hands cuffed behind their backs. Come on, people. We've all been appraised of the so-called facts. We all know who shot them dead. It was the same motherfuckers we hired to protect and serve. They were killed by the Brotherhood. Men wearing white hoods masked by silver badges, marked for death simply because of the color of their skin. And because of those badges, we'll get fucked once again. And justice will not be served. The city is full of mourning mothers. They know these mean streets will kill heartbeats and fill up graveyards and prison buildings. 
see this melanin life right here is hard and unyielding. Death stalks your child's mind from the moment they draw breath, so ain't no rest for the weary and downtrodden. The city's mothers are constantly on the run. Running from street corner to hospital building, from hospital building to courthouse, from courthouse to prison building, from prison building to funeral home, and don't even mention hope to me because all our hope is gone. Our hopes drained out in the gutter, along with the light blood of our husbands and sons, while everyone stood by and became silent witness to murder most child. And you wonder why we howl out in misery and abject rage? The city is full of mourning mothers, each and every one of them the same. Empty arm, broken hearted silhouettes of their former selves. Knees bowed, arms and treating hands kneading on empty needing to hold on to their lost loved ones who are gone but not forgotten. Oh yes, the city is full of mourning mothers. Mothers hunted forever by the furthest sound of freedom, non-existent, ringing, peace. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard Valerie Castile mother of Philando Castile, just unload truth, you know, her true feelings in the wake of the officers being acquitted of murdering her son, and that was followed by the dynamic poem, Morning Mothers, by Tribal Rain, and the music was accompanied by Jorge Mendez's Cold. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas, Yusuf Hassan, and our guest, Andy Williams. Uh, Andy, I pass it to you first. Well, I understand what Max was saying about sounding like a hypocrite. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but I understand. <laughs> I, 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 truly, right. I truly understand. And I believe sometimes it's the passion from the pain. And we're just trying to express it like, oh, I'm so frustrated and you know, listen, the the real thing is we the people have got to start holding this system accountable in any way we know how, from international law, uh, current law, to running for office, for violation of equal protection, for selective prosecution, meaning you will prosecute Billy Ray Ray or anybody else in the hood for shooting in self-defense, but you won't do the same to your own. And that's morally, humanly, in any way. And and if I was to, to, to pick on, and, and I don't mean pick on somebody like personally, but I, I'm a minister, like based on the, the going to church, getting licensed and ordained, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a marketplace minister. The ministry I have is in the hood, to enlighten people, and if for the story of fix, fix, fictional story of the Bible about uh, Yeshua, they aka Jesus, and I say fictional or real because it don't matter to me. I'm still inspired by the story because he always had a problem with the religious leaders and the lawyers. It was always the lawyers and the religious leaders in that story in that setting. That's the same thing mm-hmm. that's going on right now. You have the religious leaders and these lawyers. That's all part of this setting. 
And if the church rose up based on the scriptures of what it said to be, we would have this thing turned overnight because all of those individuals are in those places, happy to be in these seats of recognition and all of this other stuff that the scriptures say that this is what you're not supposed to do. Marcus Garvey said if just 4 million Negroes could just know who they are, if we could just know who we are overnight, we would turn this around. So I, at times, have a problem when we run around saying, Marcus Garvey, man, know thyself, but do you really know what he stood for? Do you know the businesses that he had, the things that he developed, the the papers that he had uh, uh, created, the North Star, with less resources than we have today? It is time for our generation to not talk about our ancestors, but to let the spirit of our ancestors rise up inside of us. Right. Uh, William Lloyd Garrison started the Liberator when he was homeless and 21 years old. And then he ended up helping to fund North Star. My people, we have, we the people, we have no excuse today. We have, listen, everything that I've learned about law and stuff has been from five to six hours, seven, eight, ten hours of reading every single day and then applying what I'm reading. My queen will say, Andy is a learner, but if you find out what a disciple is, it's a student. A disciple is a student that always learns. And for me, I come from gangster disciple into growth and development. When I saw the blueprint as a disciple, a student, I turned from my ways of self-genocide in my community. And now I have a heart for the people because I was one of those people, one of those persons, I should say, contributing to the genocide in our community. How could I tell somebody don't do slavery when I'm perpetuating it in my own life? And so once I came from amongst that and realized we have a purpose in these streets, when our movements move from the streets to the buildings, it waters it down. We have to bring back the 60s movement and learn from what not to do that the 60s did and do what worked in the 60s. And one of those was the right of self-defense, the right to self-govern. It took a long time for them, as they would say back then, them pigs, to infiltrate the system to come in and do the things that they needed to do. And I learned from the Panther Party and the fact that they grew so quick, they didn't know everybody. And back to you, Max, that's why I'm cool with just 300 strong, because then I know who Judas is in the group. I don't want to be so big that I don't have a personal relationship with the people, because then I don't know how to trust somebody. And a lot of people do stuff because they don't know no better. You're trying to fit in with somebody that don't even know how to treat you. But you trust them to teach you? (laughs) All right. Bad teachers make bad students, that's for sure. If you don't know, how the hell are you going to teach it? And when there's a blank spot in your education, usually people fill it with something that they make up, which is why we call slavery mass incarceration, because when they came up with that uh, statement or that description of it, nobody was thinking slavery was legal. <laughs> so they had to, it had to be something else. Uh, speaking of slavery, in, in this second hour, we usually cover some news articles, so I want to switch gears with you, and you said you're going to hang out with us throughout the program, so now you're going to become one of the co-hosts, okay? So we're going to cover okay. a couple of stories and get your opinion on it and speak on the details of it. 
uh, one of the things that I wanted to get out there um, was, you know, following the track that we just heard in its raw form from both Valerie Castillo and from Tribal Rain. There's so many mourning mothers out there, and the trauma is shared. It's not just Valerie who feels like this. Like many of us feel like that could have been my son. And it, it happens so often. Just the other day, as you mentioned, out in Lawson, Oklahoma, they murdered this man. And I unfortunately watched another snuff film of police killing a black man on our. I saw him come out the house. He knew they were out there. They're pointing guns at him, so he turned around to go back in the house. The cop is yelling, put the gun down. No, put, put your hands up. Drop the bag. He had a, a paper bag in his hand. I think that's what it was, a paper bag. Drop the bag. Hat, put your hands up. Yeah, or whatever we had. Right, something like that. It, just, it wasn't a gun. <laughs> so he had a hat in his hand. Put, uh, put that down and raise your hands. And the dude turned to run in the house, and he shot him like four times. And then when he laying on the ground full of bullets, I mean, how many bullets can a human being manage and not be able to function afterwards? The guy is yelling commands to him to move. Roll over on your back. Put your hands behind your back. You just shot him four times. Tries to do it, and the guy shoots him again like five or six times. Like, how many times do you need to shoot this man who has no weapon? It was just it's traumatic, man. Like, I had to shed some tears on that, you know. Um, I try to steal myself uh, when I see these things, but I'm human, and I care. It's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm a poet, too, so, you know, I'm sensitive. <laughs> it just it hurts so bad to see that again, man, just again and again and again. And they tell me, my people out there in Lawson are telling me this is new. This is how they're doing right now. It's like they're at war with black people out there, just murdering them or either incarcerating them. Um, Andy? I saw the video, and there's a part of me that said in South Carolina they want the firing squad. They got that back. Well, that's where the cop needs to go. It's a part of me that says that. Um, And the other part says when, when we operate in our own right, you know, like what the Black Panther Party did, the the, the, the self-defense, and they would show up in the community when, as what they were calling back then, pigs show up and they stand across the street with their sawed-offs and machine guns and everything else. We need to have those rights back and get the police out of our neighborhoods because they always coming into our neighborhood committing this genocide because they know they've labeled the individuals in there as felons, quote unquote, stripped us from our rights so they can come in there and do everything. But when we level the playing field, it ain't going to be the same way. And that's one of the solutions. That's one of the rights. It's, it's, it's our right. Because I, I just, <laughs> listen, it's only going to be so long for people going to continue to watch this, which there has been uprising, but it's only going to be so long before the people continue to watch situations like this. And that happened in December. It didn't happen just this week. That happened in December. The tape Mm -hmm. just got out. So it's like you you all are part of the conspiracy to cover up. And what needs to happen, and I'm, I'm serious, is this. Why is not the whole police force 
charged with a conspiracy under 18 U.S. 241 and 242 to cover up and conceal a homicide. Can you that imagine said about one of us? Uh, Ronald Green in Louisiana, same thing. Mm-hmm. Every last one of them. And that's because we have not put the right people in the position to hold their own accountable. We you, you do hit. not have equal rights. You sir? I mean, we do. They just not enforce. Let's say that. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there. So as of this past Friday, the two officers, uh, former officers, so they've been fired, uh, Nathan Ronan and Robert Hinkle, and they've been charged with first-degree manslaughter. So here's my problem with this. Manslaughter is not enough because, according to Oklahoma, it's written when they talk about first-degree manslaughter, it says it occurs when someone – unintentionally kills another person, either in the commission of a misdemeanor in the heat of passion or an attempt to resist a crime. None of those apply in this situation because, for one, they know that they have authorized lethal deadly force. They aim for the middle of the chest, and they know that every shot that they take is a potential kill shot. So you cannot unintentionally kill someone when the shot that you're trained to take is to kill the person. Of course, they don't say that they're trained to to kill the person. They'll say that they're trained to stop the threat. That's how they how they use their wording. So this isn't enough. They should be charged with murder, whether first or second degree. I haven't looked at the charges, but I know mans this doesn't fit manslaughter. So they're already off to the wrong foot, you know, and uh, this is where they use that law that Andy was talking about, but for them, mm-hmm. the individual is being held accountable for what he or she does, not the entire group. But when it comes to the Christian right. blood, they're all murderers and killers. You know, every, you, last one. You, every, every last one of them held accountable for anything that anybody does. But the police Anybody. is a whole different story. And for me, it's very simple. It always has been. These are slave catchers out hunting human beings. They still carry the same racial biases that they carried in the 1800s. No difference. And they're choosing to simply go after the traditionally historically oppressed, which is primarily black men, but in general, black and brown and red bodies uh, all together, the uh, disenfranchised, those who are un- they feel like are unable to bring up charges against them or be able to pay for a lawyer, anybody that they can exploit. And they have said so out loud on tape. So these are slave catchers. And why are they slave catchers? Because they're slavery. You can't have slavery without slave catchers. People don't just walk up and go into bondage on their own. And these are the, right. the jackboots who will be shooting people en masse when given the order. Passing the mic. I mean, if you want to talk about a continuing criminal enterprise, you know, because if the three of us were somewhere, and as you were saying, you know, one of us can commit something, and if they say that we were, an, you know, they label us a gang, and then they can convict any of the other two just by saying, oh, they were part of an organization, and so therefore they can charge anyone in the organization. You know, that's, they that's did that last my week. closing remember remarks the new, on that. 
last week when we uh, showed where they had uh, labeled protesters as gang members, members of ACAD, which right. is the slogan, All Street. Cops are Bastards. <laughs> and they said they were this violent Created a gang. fake gang. That's yep. right. Created a fake gang. And prosecuted all up under this fake gang. Uh, and I don't understand why we, don't, we can't even just address this under RICO charges. Like, uh, you two uh, brothers involved in law, tell me, can't we address these under RICO charges? Racketeering? We can. And, and, and here, here's where I'm at with that, because that was the next stage that I was going to go in with the, the suit that I had filed. I was going to turn it into a RICO suit. But if I'm going to the same system... <laughs> that is perpetuating and allowing this and turning a blind eye, I'm not confident that I can get the remedy that we're entitled to. That's like one of our ancestors that have been enslaved on the plantation saying, listen, your overseer just broke my arm. Well, they allowed him. The the plantation owner is not going to do nothing to his overseer because he is his overseer. So we're going to the government originally based on the Department of Justice design to protect the rights of the newly freed enslaved people where they were, because they were enslaved. They were not slaves. They were people that were enslaved, that was conquered and kidnapped. If the DOJ was created to, you know, protect their rights, well, now the DOJ is the one that's violating their rights and interests. So how can how can we ever get a remedy or justice when the ones we crying out to is allowing this to happen? How do we do it? And my argument is, or or, or one of the strategies for me is, we have to become the system. We have to be the DOJ. We have to be the attorney generals. We have to be the lieutenant governors. We have to be that. We have to be the mayors. We got to sit on the PTA board. We have to be that because we outnumber them. We just outorganize. And it's time that we be the system in a righteous endeavor and hold it accountable so we can have the uh, peaceful living in, 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 in the Marriott rules Harmony, the universe, all this has to happen. Your latter days should be greater, Max. You should be able to breathe and live and say, whoa, I really see the neighborhood right. The community. So so here's that. something I want to I, I wanna ask, because I totally agree that we need to be the system. But I want to introduce another article to you where – we have legislators in place, but then you have the actual boots on the ground, talking about the cops, where they're doing things that haven't even been legislated. Here's a case out of New York. Uh, the newspaper article is entitled, New York Court Halts Family DNA Searches for Crime Suspects. A New York court halted the use of DNA crime-fighting tool that has helped crack cold cases and put murderers behind bars, but has also raised privacy and racial discrimination concerns because state lawmakers never approved the practice. Known as familial DNA searching, the technique allows law enforcement agencies to search the state's DNA database 
for close biological relatives of people who have left traces of genetic material at a crime scene. So the Legal Aid Society says, we laud this this decision which affirms our serious constitutional privacy and civil rights concerns around familial searching, a technique that disproportionately impacts black and Latino, Latina New Yorkers. And the article will be up on our page to further discuss. So I just wanted to uh, put that out there where you have for decades the NYPD has used the dishonest tactics to obtain New Yorkers' DNA, including those as young as 11 years old, by offering bottles of water or cigarettes uh, to to them at the local uh, precincts. This is according to the Legal Aid Society. So uh, in 2020, the NYPD said it was reviewing its DNA database after thousands of the samples were collected secretly and included people who were no longer considered suspects in violent crimes. So I'll ask you, Andy, the legislator, the presidential candidate, how do we deal with this type of situation? So now that this has came out, then Mm -hmm. real to me it's easy. Every case that somebody was arrested on DNA needs to be reviewed. My God. Instantly. It's the first time Max and I have ever heard someone say that. (laughs) This is what we want them to do. Every time they step out of line, I don't understand why it's not common knowledge to just go and say, you know what? This probably isn't the only time this person has done this. Let's look at all of their cases. And, I'm and sorry, I didn't mean he, to interrupt you, but I'm glad no, that I was your that. opening remark. I'm glad that was your opening remark. Well, here's 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 where I'm I'm coming at with this about why I feel like when the 2024 campaign kicks off, which is probably I'm probably going to announce it either May 3rd or May 19, 2023, based on Elmer Shabazz, aka Malcolm X, birthday. I think you just I think you just said it. <laughs> but you what? but you can officially announce it here at Abolition Today when you're ready. No, it'll be twenty thirteen twenty 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 three. I'm sorry. Not 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 right now. It'll be it'll be next okay. year. Okay. But okay. W- what I'm saying behind that is is <clears throat> when we know this has happened, we can come in with FOIAs and review mm-hmm. them ourselves. Because what we keep doing is asking this system, and I'm going to tell you all something that I don't think too many people know. The circuit mm-hmm. clerks in the court, there's GSA bonds attached to our names, all of our names, they're bonds. So what the clerk is up there doing every time a case number is going in, they send it out to the DOJ who's funding the court system. It is a huge criminal enterprise, and I don't know why I shared this, today, because I don't talk about this, but I know all about these numbers, this stuff, and I learned it from this guy named David Strait. Look him up on YouTube. A European cat, I don't know what it, no, he's not, it's, that's not what he, 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 his nationality, he came from, I don't remember, but I know, because I listened to him, six hours worth of his talk, and he is the one that broke Ick? that stuff down. No, 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 no his David, name Strait, is David out of, Strait, out of Auckland. Oh. Yeah, he's out of Auckland. Oregon. Oregon. Auckland. Auckland. All right. You know what I'm talking about, though. He, yeah. He, 
he is a very good teacher is what I'm basically saying. He's a very good teacher. And he explained to me while I was in Wisconsin painting, listening to him on YouTube about the money that's being made with the DOJ and these clerks. They're funding this. They're funding it. So if we know this, they don't want to let our people go because that's the human trafficking that is making billions of dollars. Every inmate number, every Social Security number, every driver's license number, every concealed and carry number is all being sold on the stock market. On the trade. All of these numbers are being traded, and it is international trade. This is how huge this is going on. I mean, it is huge. We wouldn't know this. So if we know this, we're the ones that have to get the FOIA. We're the ones that's going to have to do the work. We're the ones that's going to have to write the habeas petitions. We, the people, are going to have to do this. Because as long as we wait on this system to do it, we'll be waiting another 400 years. We'll be, it, it, we're just going to keep waiting. And it is time for us to say, hold on. I know how to do this. I could do this. I sued the city of Aurora, my hometown, for violating my FOIA request because I wanted the gang database, and they didn't want to give it to me. And then the, the lawyers for the city said, well, you don't have standing to uh, uh, ask for the gang database. The hell I don't. Didn't you put me in this, motherfucker? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There you go again. I, I didn't mean it like that. Sorry, so, so didn't sorry. you put me in this? No, it's good. It's good. So how do I not have standing when you label me one? How do I not have standing when you pull me over and ask me did I not just come from the gang house? No. And it's another thing we can start doing is starting putting liens on their surety bonds when they violate our rights. So then now they can't work, so we take their badge and their gun because you don't have no surety bond attached to your name. See, it's stuff we the people can do if we knew how to do it. We could defund the police. All we got to do is sue them for violating Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, discriminating against the people. Now we want the funds reallocated. And who are we looking to? The government. You're the ones that put the law out here. Why is these laws not being done fairly? You see what I'm saying? So, and that so these comes are from some, us teaching. So, so, oh, I'm sorry. Max, did you, did you have a follow-up to that? No, go ahead. I have I another story to give you Right, because we know they know how to drag things through the courts. You know, certain issues could take years. Just like how they did with you with the freedom suits. You know, when you brought mm-hmm. those, they're going to drag you out for years. So what are some short-term goals that so, people could take <clears throat> to bring about certain uh, actions? Run for office. This <laughs> is well, I know, but I say one of one of my one of my elders to, showed this something to me in the Constitution. I don't know if it was the State of Illinois Constitution or the uh, United States of America Constitution, but I feel like it was the Illinois Constitution that we are entitled to a speedy remedy in civil suits. So now that I was he sowed the seed into in like I saw it. I'm going to do some research on how to get that speedy remedy. Because if this is what your instructions say and we're not getting it, then somebody's violating our rights. And when we know our rights, we can get it. Because I think it is truly unfair that the state can appeal a case 
and they can get a decision in their appeal instantly once we get out of right. their plantation and they say it was right. wrong. But when it comes right. to us, see, that's a, that's a violation of the equal protection of the law or the right. 735, 735 ILCS Section 5. What state is that? That's Illinois. How do you Code of Civil Procedure. I just looked it up. The act shall be liter- oh. liberally construed to the end that controversies may be speedily and finally determined according to the substantive rights of the parties. I do that a lot while we're talking. I do a lot of I do a lot of research during the show, leading up to the show, but also during the show as well. Now you just blew my mind with that. I'm like, this brother out of Illinois? No, no, I just take what? <laughs> no, because I do the same thing too. I do the same thing too. And 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 I say that because once we know our rights and we educate the people and the people start exercising their rights, now we're balancing out. I did a motion to recuse a judge. In this case I had, sued the landlord. The judge was practicing law from the bench. He assigns it to another judge, heard it Friday. This judge said, I reviewed the whole trial, an hour and a half. I didn't see he he, he didn't he didn't, you know, practice law from the bench and all this stuff. But he only he only made one point. I'm like, no, but I, I, I argue three points. And the reason why I don't never get mad when they rule that way, because I trust the ancestors are taking me through a position, a journey to get somewhere, so I'm okay with it. I don't get all sad and mad. I say that because once we know our rights, we know we still got a remedy. Because now I got two judges that's going to get sued. You see what I'm saying? And I could take this same information that I'm doing and share with the next brother. Because there's three suits that I'm pulling against the state of Illinois that will be coming out in no later than June. One, you can't deny a felon the right to run for office. And if you don't want a felon, based on that label, to run for office, then we don't want to be taxed. How about that? Don't don't tax mm-hmm. one of us because we can't run for office. So that's fair exchange. Ain't no robbery, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm filing the suit because the right to practice law, the statute, is unconstitutional. We have a liberty right to practice any vocation we want. You can't license a right and charge a fee for it, Murdoch versus Pennsylvania. The mm-hmm. right to practice, I mean, being a lawyer, there is no license behind that. It's just a certificate, and you're a member of the bar. And if anybody knows about the bar, that goes back to the Romans and the Vatican. It's a foreign entity, and I can go all into stuff like that. So I'm challenging well, that, declaring I have the right. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into that stuff because uh, I got to be timekeeper at this point, uh, and I got to get two okay, more fair. stories in that I want to do share before the evening is over. I got one more track I want to play, and then I want to give you some time to just say whatever you want to say to our audience uh, before we finish off with our bridging the gap segment this evening. Uh, so if you if it's okay with you, you mind if I share these two stories? Definitely, definitely. I'm the guest. Oh, yeah, right. go ahead, brother. Oh, co-host. I'm the co-host. <laughs> yes, you, you're the co-host. Okay, so the first one <laughs> is I found an official article on the official blog for the Library of Congress in regards to the 13th Amendment. And this is what the Library of Congress had to say. 
They said that while many believe that the 13th Amendment ended slavery, there was an exemption that was used to create a prison convict leasing system of involuntary servitude to fill the labor supply shortage in the southern states after the Civil War. Black codes regulated the lives of African Americans, and justice-involved individuals were often convicted of petty crimes like walking on the grass, vagrancy, and stealing food. Arrests were often made by professional crime hunters who were paid for each criminal arrested, and apprehensions often escalated during times of increased labor needs. Even those who were declared innocent in the courts were often placed in this system when they could not pay their court fees. Companies and individuals paid leasing fees to the state, county, and local governments in exchange for the labor of prisoners in farms, mines, lumberyards, brickyards, manufacturing facilities, factories, railroads, and road construction. The convict leasing fees generated substantial amounts of revenue for southern states, county, and local budgets and lasted through World War II. That is from the freaking Library of Congress admitting mm-hmm. to the crime right there and giving you details. You this is how we pulled it on you. Go ahead. Oh, he said send it to you? Max, can you send that to yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on it. I'm, I'm going to send it to you right now. Yeah, and I we don't that, have it on our page as well. That is the RICO Enterprise. That is a conspiracy to defraud. Under the 13th Amendment, that's a conspiracy because it's Section 2, 1985-3. Oh, my God. That's the blueprint. And I put that language into the 13th Amendment lawsuit, but not so. I gave right. the whole history. Now I can sum it up with just that. Just sum it up just like that. It's right there, officially it. from the Library of Congress. This is another piece of evidence, an admission of guilt, showing you the exact way in which they did it and are still doing it. Because you could hear this was you know up until World War II, but we see this happening now, right now in the United States. And the other article that I wanted to share today came from USA Today, where they took the liberty of fact-checking the abolitionists. <laughs> and this is what they had to print after we told them what was going on, and they didn't believe us. They said, our ruling is true. We rate the claim that convict leasing, an example of systemic racism, was used to force black people into unpaid labor for private and state industry as true. This rating is supported by our research. Black people were overwhelmingly the victims of the convict lease system after the Civil War. Laws were passed to create the basis for arresting black people for a variety of small offenses, or in some instances, for moving freely within a state without written permission from an employer. That's USA Today, when they was like, let us check and see if these people are telling the truth. Convict leasing is the missing link. It's never mentioned of in your historical facts. People go from slavery to Jim Crow like there was nothing else that was involved in that. And Jim Crow itself was the application of the law upon uh, black people. But when you broke that law, guess what happened to you? You got caught Mm -hmm. up in the convict lease system and became property of the state all over again. Pass the mic. Go ahead, what I'm Andy. telling you is I love this. I, just, I love it. I love it. And with this piece right here, each state is operating the same way. And <clears throat> when I amend this complaint, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to amend it, 
And all we have to do is take that across the state and just put the state names in place of each state. So it's no longer just the United States and me against 32 states. It's each individual, it's each state calling them out on this, declaring you violating treaties, international law, human rights, international, civil, or, and political rights, uh, the Geneva Convention. We can hit them with all of them. And we will make the news as this group of abolitionists, the, 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 the descendants, <laughs> that's who we are, we're the descendants. You thought abolitionists went away? No. We got too many. We we the descendants. We the abolitionists. We the modern day abolitionists. That's it. We're the torchbearers. And we now. going back that's to right. picketing. You dogs on right. And see that's. And that's, you know it's such a money making scheme that out in Los Angeles they hired sixty policemen, right? And they were paying them nearly four hundred thousand dollars a year per policeman because they said that crime had exploded in West Hollywood. They found out it was 249 cell phones that had been lost in clubs. And since then, they found two of them. But, you know, they're doing something else for that $400,000 a year, even though crime hadn't actually risen. But they got to account for their money, right? So they're out there arresting black and brown and red $400,000 a year per cop. Uh, you said <laughs> that, is, that is an outrageous amount of money that the citizens – of West Hollywood are having to pay. For slave catching. You know, this one. yeah, yeah, for slave catching. Go ahead, Andy. I was just saying that uh, <clears throat> the citizens, the, the people really don't pay taxes. The money coming out of taxes is really on the debt of, of, of the United States. Like I, the money that come out of the checks that people take, it has nothing to do with funding the police, the programs, or none of that. It, yeah, it, that's, it that's a huge conversation. That. That's a huge conversation that we just don't even have enough time to get into right. when we start yeah. talking about the Federal <laughs> Reserve Act and all. Man, we can do a deep gonna, dive on that one, Andy. <laughs> we got <laughs> to really bring can. Andy back oh, to I talk just, about those other things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I merely share it's important. That it's I'm, I'm, say, not, I'm not. I'm not. Listen. I'm not cutting you off on it. It's definitely something no, that agree. needs to be talked about. We just don't have the bandwidth for it right now. No. Like you have to come you. back, and I we merely, can have a whole show on that one. <laughs> yeah, the whole two hours. I merely was just saying that because some people think that the money coming out of our our, our checks is helping pay for these policy enforcers. And it's not. That's all I wanted to say. It's not. All right. So here's the strategy. We've been duped. (laughs) We've been duped. We've been bamboozled. The wolf. Mm -hmm. Hoodwink. Run amok. Hoodwink. Run amok. I want to play this track, right? And then when we come back on the other side, Andy, I want to give you the opportunity to say whatever you want to say to our audience. And then we're going to get into our uh, sponsors and final segment, which is an awesome segment, by the way. Um, So... One of the things I've learned over the years is that here in America, we have no sense of history. Like, we don't see ourselves as connected. Just, we talk about things 50 years ago, like it was back in the beginning of time. And we have no seemingly concern for the future either. And with that being said, I'm going to play this, which is a trailer from the film Mafa 21, The Doctor, Rent Venter. 
and it will be followed by Fire on the Mountain from Asha. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out were the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years.
nowhere for us to go And we will run, run Wishing we had pulled out the fire You just heard the Mafia 21 trailer, Black Genocide in 21st Century America, followed up by Asha with her track, Fire on the Mountain. That was a fire track, Max. Uh, Thanks. I'll concede concede my time because our time is short. So uh, I'll pass the mic. Brother Andy, uh, go ahead. And first, let's say thank you for being here today. It's not going to be your last time for sure. And uh, we are supporters of Andy Hope Williams. Um, go ahead and tell our audience anything you want to tell them before we uh, go into our final segment. Happy Mother's Day to all the abolitionist mothers and all the other mothers. And <clears throat> if you're ready to get in, you can go to www.hoodcandidate.com. And I have no problem working with any individual from any state that is focused on the abolitionist movement and abolishing slavery, oppression, in any form. I'm game with sharing what I know, and I'm a student still learning from those who have already went before me. We cannot sit back and talk about the problems that exist without stepping up to provide a solution. And if what we're doing is not working, but we're doing something, then it's working. If we're not doing nothing, that's what's not working. And I'm cool with that. Thanks for having me on. You know I love you, Max, and brother, you said y'all brothers and taught me a lot. So I, you know, I, I get a twofer on this one, man. Anyway. I got a twofer on this one. I was there when you first drafted up the suit and gave you some counsel on this issue, and now I've added some extra for you to add to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. if, yeah, if we man. Thank be you. Honest, Thank you for coming. Yeah, if we're going to be honest, the suit would not have got drafted had it not been from the email from the research that you gave me. God is good all the time. Because I I had no clue about all those states and all that information. I reached out to you. You said, give me an email. You sent it to me. It took me about three, four months, but I got that joker done. <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right, Yusuf, uh, you want to thank our sponsors and get into our final segments of the evening? Uh, Absolutely. Andy, hold on and enjoy. For real, for real. So we want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Say My Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, the Black Talk Radio Network, in the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash abolition today. For that page, for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program, if you have any information that you want to send out to Max or myself, you can email us at 
You can do Max at AbolitionToday.org or Yusuf, that's Y-U-S-U-F, no E in my name, Y-U-S-U-F at AbolitionToday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms. Remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us to become part of the solution. Text in the exception, end the exception, all one word, no spaces, spaces to 52886 and follow the prompts. Uh, we're going to get into our Bridging the Gap segment. We have something special this evening. We have the narrative of Sojourner Truth, Chapter 15, and this is going to be performed by Pauline Jean or Jean, Ain't I a Woman? So we'll be back next Sunday, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Happy Mother's Day. Abolition. Abolition. Chapter Abolition. 15 Abolition. of The Narrative of Sojourner Truth by Olive Gilbert and Sojourner Truth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Holly Jensen. Chapter 15. Her Escape. The question in her mind, and one not easily solved, now was, how can I get away? So, as was her usual custom, she told God she was afraid to go in the night, and in the day everybody would see her. At length the thought came to her that she could leave just before the day dawned, and get out of the neighborhood where she was known before the people were much astir. Yes, said she fervently, that's a good thought. Thank you, God, for that thought. So, receiving it as coming direct from God, she acted upon it. And one fine morning, a little before daybreak, she might have been seen stepping stealthily away from the rear of Master Dumont's house, her infant on one arm and her wardrobe on the other, the bulk and weight of which probably she never found so convenient as on the present occasion, a cotton handkerchief containing both her clothes and her provisions. As she gained the summit of a high hill, a considerable distance from her master's, the sun offended her by coming forth in all his pristine splendor. She thought it never was so light before. Indeed, she thought it much too light. She stopped to look about her and ascertain if her pursuers were yet in sight. No one appeared, and for the first time the question came up for settlement, Where and to whom shall I go? In all her thoughts of getting away, she had not once asked herself whither she should direct her steps. She sat down, fed her infant, and again turning her thoughts to God, her only help, she prayed him to direct her to some safe asylum. And soon it occurred to her that there was a man living somewhere in the direction she had been pursuing, by the name of Levi Rowe, whom she had known, and who, she thought, would be likely to befriend her. She accordingly pursued her way to his house, where she found him ready to entertain and assist her, though he was then on his deathbed. He bade her partake of the hospitalities of his house, said he knew of two good places where she might get in, and requested his wife to show her where they were to be found. As soon as she came in sight of the first house, she recollected having seen it in its inhabitants before, and instantly exclaimed, That's the place for me. I shall stop there. 
she went there and found the good people of the house mr and mrs van wagener absent but was kindly received and hospitably entertained by their excellent mother till the return of her children when they arrived she made her case known to them they listened to her story assuring her they never turned the needy away and willingly gave her employment she had not been there long before her old master dumont appeared as she had anticipated for when she took french leave of him she resolved not to go too far from him and not put him to as much trouble in looking her up for the latter he was sure to do as tom and jack had done when they ran away from him a short time before this was very considerate in her to say the least and a proof that like begets like he had often considered her feelings though not always and she was equally considerate when her master saw her he said well belle so you've run away from me no i did not run away i walked away by daylight and all because you had promised me a year of my time his reply was you must go back with me her decisive answer was no i won't go back with you he said well i shall take the child this also was as stoutly negatived mr isaac s van wagener then interposed saying he had never been in the practice of buying and selling slaves he did not believe in slavery but rather than have isabella taken back by force he would buy her services for the balance of the year for which her master charged twenty dollars and five in addition for the child the sum was paid and her master dumont departed but not till he had heard mr van wagener tell her not to call him master adding there is but one master and he who is your master is my master isabella inquired what she should call him he answered call me isaac van wagener and my wife is maria van wagener isabella could not understand this and thought it a mighty change as it most truly was from a master whose word was law to simple isaac s van wagener who was master to no one with these noble people who though they could not be the masters of slaves were undoubtedly a portion of god's nobility she resided one year and from them she derived the name of van wagener he being her last master in the eye of the law and a slave's surname is ever the same as his master that is if he is allowed to have any other name than tom jack or guffin slaves have sometimes been severely punished for adding their master's name to their own but when they have no particular title to it it is no particular offense end of chapter 15 recording by holly jensen